Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. How do you create a healthy sex plan? I'm an SA recovery for a couple of months now. My partner is a PA in recovery for two years. We have never been absent within our relationship. Hmm. Um, well, I'm a little confused. We've never been absent in our relationship means to me that you have some kind of sex life. I don't know if it's healthy or not. And then you're asking how to do you create a healthy sex plan. It would seem to me that someone would have created that plan before they started working on the sexuality in their relationship because those plans are inclusive of, well, I would say, I, I'm looking at the thing that went by and you said three questions. I'm not sure about three questions, Tammy. They're, they're, they're questioning your questions, but I bet you could get it into 10. Mm. Um, well, if this was a I believe, particular person with a particular situation, so you can no, believe me right. or not. I literally said we can get down to three questions and right. we did. So, you know, but well, a lot of that and what Tammy's talking about, and I'm sorry to mean to dismiss you is, are you gay? You know, do you have this fetish or do you not? You know, have you slept with my neighbor or have you not? Sometimes the questions are very specific. And so I, I apologize. Well, I can't say why that person said that, but I jumped on. Yeah, it's going to be 25 questions, but Tammy's right. There are certain things that you just want to know, and that's enough. And you've been waiting 30 years to know, I've heard some spouses say. So anyway, I'm a little confused because if, if I were this person, I would have created a healthy sex plan before or during my relationship with my partner, not once I was uh, working on my recovery. But in any case, what do you think the question is, Tammy? Would you mind ans asking it? Well, I'm to me, this is, we've never stopped. We're both in recovery, but we continue to have sex, but we've never taken a break to look at if, if our sex is healthy or not, or, or to even, you know, find out who we are ourselves. So to me, you know, that, that, that's a little bit of the challenges, you know, if nothing changed, then, you know, then how do you figure it out? But absolutely with support from a qualified therapist, et cetera. So. And I, I wonder, what do you consider to be sex? And what do you consider to be intimacy? Because you could take a time out from uh, vaginal sex, uh, other forms of penetrative sex. That doesn't mean you can't hold each other. That doesn't mean you can't massage each other. That doesn't mean that you, and just say, we're going to stop now. And guess what? You can. But one of the things I'd be curious about is what do you consider to be healthy sexuality because i consider about 85 percent of it have nothing to do with uh, genitals <laughs> maybe 75 percent. it has to do with the smell and taste and touch and 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 looking and feeling and you know so uh what we would be doing at two years with couples is working on how they can grow the intimacy that precedes sex that grows into sex you know when you're going out with a stranger and you go have sex with someone you met 10 minutes ago you don't have to worry too much about emotional intimacy and you're not going to have any trouble getting off because it's new and it's exciting and all that acting out stuff but that's not how you want to conduct your sexual life with your partner and so if as tammy said if you're still kind of doing it the same way you did before it's hard to know 
if you are learning to be closer to each other. For example, real quick, one of the things that I think is an important part of healthy sexuality in recovery is talking to each other. That you can actually say, let's stop, I'm feeling distant. Or you laugh or you be silly that sex isn't so support, so important. The other thing actually I wanna to say to this couple is, um, what I often hear from sex addicts in recovery is, okay, this is great that I'm in this place, great that I'm working on that, but when do I get to the sex? Or it's really nice that we're having a great relationship, but where, what about the sex? And we have so much catching up to do with our partners around relationship and honesty and intimacy and that, that sex is a good thing and it's a good thing to have, but it would be so far down my list compared to all the emotional intimacy that I need to grow with a partner. And guess what? If you don't have sex for a while, Nothing bad will happen. Nothing will fall off. Nothing falls Nothing off. Nothing will break. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. All right. Anyway, let's keep moving. Okay. So the next question, after seven months and one full disclosure in May, I took a polygraph last Saturday. Pre-polygraph, I disclosed three more significant encounters. I passed all the questions on the polygraph, but the additional disclosures destroyed my wife or destroyed but the additional disclosures destroyed, I think, my destroyed wife. Destroyed my wife. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's not really a question, um, no. I don't think. But there's there's things to be said here. Um, why don't you, Tam, why don't you start? Because I know your heart breaks. And I want to go to the restroom. So oh, there's more below. So, okay, I got to find. So, I'll just be oh, right. I am separating for three months from my spouse. And we are seeking strategies on how to effectively do a separation in order to come back together. My emotional sobriety is a big issue. Are there tips on how to regain trust in emotional sobriety so my wife can see me differently? Yeah, yeah. This is one of those where I don't know, after seven months and one full disclosure, what are you really doing for your recovery? If you're just seeing your therapist, I said it earlier, you know, 50 minutes a week, the acting out is a symptom. You know, you, you know, you're never addressing in 50 minutes. You're talking about, Oh, what happened this week? You're never getting to the underlying issue. So, um, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to hold my rant on polygraphs. I am, I am not a fan. I've been on other webinars there. There there's no research. There's no, I know everybody uses them, but I thought, man, basing my relationship status on something that is a coin toss. It's as good as a coin toss. I wouldn't do it, but everybody gets to choose. I know it's become protocol, but there's no research. Yeah. There's no protocol. So it's not a protocol. Um, it's just, I a, know. A, I'm sorry, Tammy. I don't mean to interrupt. It's, um, it's a, what partners want to know absolutely that this is true. And that, and you may or polygraphs are very fallible. There's a reason they don't admit them in court. And a lot of times the people who are not in the legal system as polygraphers don't know what the heck they're doing or they're no longer in the legal system because they didn't know what they were doing. And certainly it's hard for them to understand the nature of the questions we're asking versus somebody who robbed a bank. So um, what has happened, I think, over the last 10 years is there's been more and more of an interest from spouses in getting the truth. But what's being missed is the importance of growing honesty and growing. You have to give someone a chance to fail. You know, now, should he have told you these things? Absolutely. Um, is it horrible and awful and frustrating and terrible that he didn't tell you these things? Yes. Would I squeeze it out of him with a polygraph? Probably not. Um, probably not. Um, so, ahead, so Tammy. I want to jump in this though, because it says like, well, if you're going to do a disclosure, do a real disclosure. Don't right. hold on to like, 
this happens all the time. People hang on to a couple of things because they're afraid that if their spouse finds out, you know, then it's going to be over. Look, look what happened. You know, so, so thank, I, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for your wife. I got to tell you, I'm really sorry for your spouse. Um, tell the truth. Our clinical director says, tell the truth and tell it faster with a disclosure. If you're going to do the disclosure, do a real disclosure, get the benefit of a real disclosure. So, but to your question, I am separating for three months with my spouse. I love that you have a time frame. I, I love because like the three years of nothing, we have no plan, we have no whatever. Um, and we are seeking strategies on how to effectively do a separation in order to come back together. My emotional sobriety is a big issue. So are there tips? I don't know what you're doing for your recovery. I am suspect um, after seven months, I mean, that's really early in recovery yet, but I am suspect that you aren't stepping up enough. If you haven't joined the uh, sex, um, sex Addiction 101 work group, there's another one starting next week, November 3rd. Great foundational pieces, more peer support. You know, if you're if you're doing something every day for your recovery, it's going to make a difference. It's going to start showing because you're going to start, you know, really being able to step into that. Dr. Rob references his Out of the Doghouse book. It's how to, you know, it it is how to build trust, and that's where you're at. But I I I think it's on your spouse to set what boundaries your spouse needs to see from you. So that you've got benchmarks that you you know that you can be working towards. Like in three months, what is your spouse looking for to show that you are making progress? Um, and we have lots of, of webinars on emotional sobriety, but also tolerating uncomfortable emotions. Like you know, you got in hot water because you lied. You lied by omission. You didn't tell the truth. You know, how do you tolerate going, this is going to be uncomfortable. I know my spouse is going to be angry at me, but telling the truth is way more important than holding on to something because I'm afraid of his or her reaction. So I'll take a pause. No, I actually want to move on if that's okay. okay. Because, you know, okay. Tammy doesn't really need me here. I just want to say that her answers <laughs> are so good. No, you know uh, that. I, there's a question I really want to answer that I saw, okay. if that's okay. Yeah. And it's the last question in the open section. 539. It came in at 539. Okay. Essays can and do recover from all forms of their hour acting out. If not, why are treatment Brooks and 12 steps promoted? Why wouldn't it just be leave the losers? It is very hard to recover from SAPA, but some credit where credit is due, please. I, we are living proof that addicts can change. You know, we, you know, um, many in our, in our little group that are part of the Seeking Integrity team are testaments to that. We hear... I reached out to the alumni, uh, it's been a couple months ago now, and I got th these amazing stories back. You know, here's where I'm at, here's what I'm doing. I mean, it was so, it was so fulfilling and empowering to me. So yes, we, we can, if we're willing to do the work, we can't just try. So that, that's the difference, it's action. You know, it, it, like in the 12 step AA big book, it says into action, that's, that's key. Can't can't do it just by sitting on the couch thinking, oh, I'm going to try. Okay, so can I go back up to the top? No, I want to answer it too. Oh, um, sorry. That's uh, okay. <laughs> we do this a lot. I mean, Tammy and I. So, yes. okay. So I, I, I want to go back to, where was that question now? Uh, I put it in answered, sorry. Oh, okay. That's okay. I just need to find it's it. It's the bottom of the um, answer. Right. So 
I'm a little picky about language. I'm, I'm very picky about language. After 11 books, I read things very carefully. And when I listen to people, and I think it's a gift that I have to be able to listen so clearly that I do good assessments. I listen very carefully to language because people, uh, cigars are not always cigars. And so what this person said, Tammy, I want to quote, sex addicts can and do recover from all forms of their hour acting out. And I would completely and utterly disagree with that statement as strongly as I can, without question, because no addicts recover. We are in recovery. Oh, fair. As sex addicts can and do have an experience of recovery, as long as they are, as Sammy said, working on this. And yes, the treatments and the books and the 12 steps are there to keep us in recovery. But it is by the grace of God that each day I have the opportunity to live without active addiction. And so I don't think I'm a loser because it still lives inside of me. I think I'm a winner for having seen how horrible and difficult it was and having found a new way through those things you mentioned to live. Those things are not there just to help me stop acting out. As Tammy said, that's the tip of the iceberg. The real thing is what kind of human being am I? And how do I treat people and by what rules do I live? So, and that requires, because of the way I think anyway, as an addict, a constant uh, reevaluation of my decisions, um, my, my, uh, of my decisions. That's a good way. So I, I think that um, I, and, and the, so I, I strongly have feelings about this idea that, that there's a period on the end of that sentence. Um, and the other piece, and I wouldn't be at the other piece, but I saw you nodding your head, Tammy, so I thought, oh, that resonates with her. Is there something you want to say about that? No, I, I, I miss it. I never use recovered. Like I hear all the time, I'm a recovered addict. I'm like, never. And I've been doing this a few 24 hours. And I always say I'm in recovery, you know, and I do think, you know, we can continue that journey. I also wanted to tag on to what you said about, you know, reexamining our decisions with the help of other people, because my thinking was completely faulty, particularly early on, I've gotten lots better, but there are still times that I go, I need to get, you know, more input and insight, you know, because I may be missing something. You mentioned before we started recording that you do a peer uh, consultation group for, for therapists. And I love that they are coming in to present cases that they want to make sure that they're doing a great job for their clients. And that's the lens of we're constantly examining so that we can continue to grow. So, yeah, I mean, there's a therapist. We run a consultation group. We have therapists who've been therapists for 25 years. They are certified in sex, but they want to, they don't want to be learned. They want to keep learning. Um, But it's more than that. I think for addiction, it will, addiction lives inside of us. It is a, for lack of a better term, a a brain injury, a mental disorder, it's issue like depression or anxiety. It requires monitoring. I might get out of depression and say, thank goodness, I never want to be depressed again, but things happen. Somebody dies, something, all of a sudden I find myself. So, and by the way, we are not losers. I am not a loser whether I slip, I could go out and slip tonight with five different people in five different ways. I'm not a loser. I'm troubled. I'm challenged. I am back in, uh, my sponsor used to say, I love this. He would say, I'm having a flare up of my mental illness, you know? And I love that because he just had a flare up of the problem and he returned and normalized it. So what I hear, and I just wanna say a little bit of this in this question is the other part. I hear somebody who wants to reassure their spouse 
that they're never going to slip and that's never going to happen. And they're always, I just hear that a little bit. And to me, the credit is for your showing up each day, whether you are sober or you're not the credit and the hero is the person who shows up. In fact, to me, the hero is the person who has a slip and those back goes back with their shame and their self-hatred and says, I got to tell you this, and I know you're going to hate me for it. That's strong. I'd rather you didn't have the slip, but to me, that's powerful. So I think there's a misjudgment about what recovery is. I feel like this is absolutely a husband who's wanting to say, you know, um, it's perfect. And I guess the last piece is, I really want to answer this quickly, but I can't, is that when I walk into AA, I expect that someone's going to have three years or five years or 10 years because you can live a perfectly happy life and never drink again. It may be a lot in the beginning, but you know, you don't have to drink to enjoy your life. You don't have to drink to find joy. You don't have to drink to celebrate relationships. You, you don't. But there are other behaviors like eating, which you do have to keep doing, no matter whether you have an eating disorder or not. You just, the solution is not to stop eating. That makes it much more difficult for the person to recover and stay in recovery. Recovery. If you want to be sexual, if you want to eat, these are with us our entire lives and they are a part of having joy and feeling connected. The recovering person who has 10 years at a meeting and they say to me, yes, I have 10 years, a sex addict. And I say, wow, that's really great. What has your 10 years been like? And he or she says, I haven't had sex in 10 years. That's not what we're looking for. So I, I, this is not an absolute. It is a struggle, and it is a struggle the rest of our lives. And I haven't met many sex addicts who have more than five or six years because I think it is endemic to the problem. And I think your spouses ultimately are going to have to understand it's not permission. It's not, you know, go ahead and do what you want. But we're going to struggle with this all our lives. And what and that's why I can go on this forever, right? The key to regaining trust and emotion—it's honesty. It's all about us being honest, not perfect. So, Tammy, take it away. Well, I'm in, and and that's a lot. But on a daily basis, if I take care of myself and do what I need to do for my recovery, I can continue just for today to have recovery. So, to me, it's always what do I need to do? What do I need to choose for today? So. Okay, my essay husband confessed he has been aroused when he saw our nine-year-old granddaughter in her bathing suit. He said it was the only time it ever happened and he and has scared and sobered him. Does this mean he's a pedophile? Wow, that's, um, so I'm not sure how to answer this because um, it's a really complicated question. If you said that you're, uh, your granddaughter was 17 years old and fully developed as a young woman. It's not unusual for a man to look over and say, oh my goodness, she's become a really attractive woman and then look the other way. You know, I don't think sexualizing for a short period of time, a young woman who is developing and becoming beautiful. I'm talking about, please don't go after me. I'm talking about when, and I'm not talking about touch or anything. I'm just saying if someone glances over and sees a 17 year old and she's really completely evolved, it's not, does, it's not horrible for someone to notice that. However, if someone is not, is pre-puberty, they have not developed, um, they don't look anything to anyone like an adult, that concerns me. And there's a little more to this that concerns me. I, I've not met any folks who are sex addicts who have ever, ever uh, been uh, telling the truth when they said it was the only time 
it can't be the only time. It's not the only time. And so there's a lot more you guys need to talk about and deal with. Um, I do think it's important that he's told you this because there's something going on that worries him. And if it were me, I just would probably be hanging out with him when he's with the grandkids and not just until I find out more information. I absolutely would pay attention to this, but I wouldn't conclude anything about this. Um, this is a guy who needs to get evaluated, go to a treatment center. It's very serious, but it does not mean that he is a pedophile. Um, but there are issues for sure. Yeah, um, and hopefully he's, I mean, you didn't say how long he's been. I hope he's sober. sober. I hope he's working on his recovery path. I mm -hmm. hope he's working on those things. So the more he engages, um, you know, in that, um, uh, you know, and, you know, and there are, you know, there are evaluations and things like that that can be done on, you know, for people too. So, okay. Next question. My essay. Um, let me spouse. just say one more thing about that. I'm sure. so sorry. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between people who are attracted to inappropriate ages. There are difference between people who look at inappropriate porn because of age and sex addicts. You might look at uh, nine-year-olds all day long, that doesn't make you a sex addict. It makes you a pedophile. So I just want to make these issues clear that sexual offending, which is non-consensual sex, period, whether I know the person or not, if we're not both in agreement about being sexual and what we're going to do, then I am offending you. It has nothing to do with legal. It has to do with, so understand, if you're not old enough, then you can't consent. If you're not mentally healthy enough, you can't consent. You have to be fully available to consent for sexuality. So that's what offending means to me. And this is this is just very concerning. Um, anyway, Tammy, sorry. I want to take one more thing. Or in a power dif when there's a power difference, you know. So so you because you can't consent if your job is on the line or you know some, there's some other force right well but that's that right you can't consent if someone's uh you know gonna not give you the raise if you don't have sex with them or they're your lawyer and you're worried about your custody battle and if you don't have sex with them but it's also it's it's abuse it's non-consensual um by nature um hey oh. tommy can i tell you one thing before we start the next sure. question this is completely personal but i got to my computer tonight to get started on this meeting and on my keyboard was this i can't see if you see it this like Ouija, Ouija board. board. Oh my gosh. It's actually mints to that. Mystifying mints. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And the reason I got that is my husband of 20 years stopped at a Halloween store and picked up something for me. He picked me up Ouija board, mystifying mints and put them on my computer. Do you know what that means? Do you know that? I don't know what sex? his meaning meaning behind it's it. It's Halloween. With it. No, I, but I want to speak to them. Yes, okay. Do you know what that means? Do you know that this stupid box of mints is everything? Do you know what it's like to know that I was thought of when I wasn't facing someone? Um, do you know what it means to me? And hopefully for you, I, I'm bounding, I'm hitting a drum here for the addicts who are so dismissive of what their partners do for the, on a regular basis, of the little, little things that we pay no attention to because I didn't want to be mints today. And you want to know what a loving relationship is about? It's about little teeny things like this. It's about listening to someone when they you don't feel like it, but you're going to listen because you know that it'll make them feel good. And I had to share that because 20 years and I still get mystifying Ouija mints. And you know, it's everything. It's just everything. 
And you're going to tell him that too. And I'm already eating them. Yeah. Okay. Next question. My essay spouse moved out of the house on Friday. I still hope for a reconciliation, but I needed boundaries from his continued anger, blame shifting and lying to me. He relapsed last week and I can see that he is still acting out and trying to cover his tracks. Do I tell the CSAT? Well, I'm really glad you moved out. Um, no, the essay spouse. Uh, good. Moved I'm out. really glad you kicked this person to the curb. I like that. I was going to say I'd rather they moved out than you. Um, I think that's incredibly difficult and painful to make a decision that your sanity is worth more than the sadness you're going to feel when you're not together. And you will. You know, it isn't just like when somebody. A lot of spouses say to me, well, I don't understand how I could still love them when they've hurt me so much. And just because someone hurts you doesn't mean the love goes away. It takes, it's grief. It will, you know, it takes a long, long time, regardless of how someone has treated you for that love to go away. So I just want to say to you, despite that, I, you put yourself first and you didn't allow this person to express anger and blame and lie to you, which by the way is abuse. It's verbal and emotional abuse. So what you're saying is really, I decided that I was worth more than this guy hitting me all the time or this girl hitting me all the time. I decided that that wasn't okay because every time we say, well, if you had better sex with me, I wouldn't go out there and do this. We might as well be smacking you across the face. You know, every time I spend three hours looking at porn, the minute we go to bed and I leave you to go to the porn, I'm smacking you across the face. Um, so um, would I tell his therapist? I don't know, Tammy, do you have a comment about that? Uh, uh, I, it would be, I would give him time to tell his therapist. I would give him like an, an appointment to see if he, you know, cause if his therapist is asking, how are things going? Oh, my, um, my relapse, I'm living outside the house now. I'm, you know, right. so I'm living in a tiny house down the street, you know, I, I don't know, but it's one of those things where like, I would give him a shot at that. And then, um, asking for a session, um, or at the least giving the information, but asking for a session with the therapist and saying, things are deteriorating. Here's what's happened. Cause I bet his therapist doesn't know any of that stuff. Um, but you know what I thought? That's a guy that should come to our treatment program. That's the, you know, that's one of the, I mean, this is what we do. I mean, he's continuing to struggle. Things have gotten worse. He's, he's out of the house because he couldn't show up in a meaningful way. He can't stop and acting out. And wouldn't you feel more comfortable <laughs> that he is with us or in some safe place being monitored than a hotel or out doing all that stuff that he does? Anyway, I, I will say something about treatment. It's not just for the addicts. A lot of times spouses say, oh, thank goodness. I don't have to worry that this person is living me every day. I don't have to be angered every single day. I get some time out. Um, I did want to say something um, about telling his therapist. So I just this is related, but not direct. It blows my mind how much addicts lie to their therapists. And I'm not talking about a couple therapy where they don't want to be found out. I work with so many sex addicts therapists who say, he saw me for three years and just lied all the way through. And I thought, well, yeah, that's not unusual. But I think, what is the point of going to something like therapy? What's the point of being in an intimate relationship if you're not going to disclose who you are? If you're not going to, how do you... Um, I mean, I know why it's about holding on to control. I don't want to change how you think about me. I don't want anything in this relationship to change. I'm going to try to control it. And if I tell you the truth, it's, it's out of control because I don't know what you're going to do. But why seek help and not let the person 
help you that you're there to see. Um, and I hear it all the time. So Tammy, more questions? Okay. Do you have I'm a eating mints, by the way. I'm That's eating okay. Mints. And then you're enjoying them. Do you have a suggestion on how to navigate dual addiction? I was a sex addict seeking love and needing to be wanted for 20 years. Then I introduced meth, which I used for 20 years. Both addictions have had their underlying issues, but I struggle, struggle navigating both addictions. Well, um, not to be too self-promoting, but this is why, this in particular is why we created a treatment program because so many men we work with, uh, maybe half of them have struggled with alcohol or struggle with opioids or struggled with heroin or struggle with meth. And they figured out whether treatment or whatever, how to get sober from that. And then they realized that they were either still sexual acting out or the sexual behavior brought them back to where they were using or, or created that potential, um, that the sexual acting out did not leave them feeling joyous and happy and free because they were still lying and keeping secrets. So one of the things that we exist for as a treatment program is for those people who have really begun to understood and get themselves around the drug problem, but relapse is right around the corner because they haven't dealt with the underlying sexual issues. I haven't been many places where I'm not running the place where you have an addicts program, substance abuse, and you're talking about sex. Um, it just doesn't happen. And if you were the person in an a, in a drug focused substance abuse treatment program to talk about sex, you would be the freak. You would be the odd one out. And that's not helpful most of the people we work with who have a drug and alcohol problem come to us because their sexual issues, their self-hatred, their acting out, their abuse was there far before their drinking and using. And now they're struggling with staying sober because their sexual issues lead them right back to it. And by the way, that can be what's underneath the iceberg is those kinds of issues. Um, it, it, whether or not you're able to go to treatment or a treatment center, um, I think you have to work on the sexual issues themselves in order to maintain the bigger picture of, uh, of healthy intimacy. So hopefully that's helpful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.